we face a lot of big issues, uh, don't we? As we come into this uh, room together, there's so many big issues that we're facing. There's debt, there's perhaps broken relationships, there's the coronavirus, there's the economy, there's the upcoming elections. There's a lot of big issues going on right now. And what are we supposed to do about such weighty things? Well, there's a lot we can do. And yet the main thing that we can do is going to come out in this passage that we're going to look at today. We're in Mark chapter 11. We've been going through Mark a chapter a week as we're heading uh, towards Easter. And Mark is driving us forward in the gospel according to Mark. It's moving real quickly. And uh, we're in chapter 11. We'll read a portion of chapter 11 right now, starting in verse 12. I ask you to follow along. It's printed there in your worship um, bulletin. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we pause and pray right here, and there are countless mountains that need to be moved in our lives, countless weighty issues. And Lord, today we ask that you would help us trust you to do the heavy lifting, to throw those mountains into the sea, to move those mountains, to bring hope, to bring healing, restoration. God, whatever it is that we are in need of. We trust in you, O Christ, that only you, King Jesus, has the true power that we can trust. And so we pray in your name. Amen. A couple of evenings ago, after a long um, run, uh, yes, I went for a long run in the evening. I'd had a long day of work and just had to get a run in. Uh, sounds like a crazy idea, but it really helps me relax. I don't run in the evenings all the time. But um, that particular evening, instead of helping me relax, it actually gave me a lot of energy. <laughs> so I must have stayed up another hour or so. Tried to do a little reading, um, ended up watching TV and uh, flipping the channels and landed on a channel of a preacher. And as soon as I landed on that channel, uh, the preacher said, no depressed prayers. You can't pray any depressed prayers. You gotta be excited when you pray. And you gotta believe and you gotta have faith in faith. 
when you pray. No depressed prayers. I was intrigued. Uh, Our church doesn't believe that, by the way. That's not where I'm getting my sermons from, just so you know. Uh, But this was a constant slogan that was used in this sermon. And basically, uh, what was being said was, God doesn't want your depressed prayers. That's depressing, if you want to ask me what I think. God doesn't want your depressed prayers. You've got to be confident. You've got to try harder. You've just got to say to those bills, be gone and just believe it and they will be gone. Um, this preacher even quoted one of the verses that we just read, although ironically left a lot out of that verse, said, say to that mountain, move and it will move. Now, there's a lot of abuses of this verse that we just read. Sad how verses like this uh, are, are truly just ripped right out of context for what feels convenient. It's sort of an a la carte Bible, if you will. I just flip through it, just pull a snippet or even one little word and just hang on to it and forget the rest that's clearly uh, written there. Millions of books have been written on these sort of self-help. Just be confident. You can do it. And if you say it loud enough or you believe it in your heart, Uh, enough, it'll be done for you. Um, Basically, if you don't have it, it's because you don't believe. Keep believing and you'll get it. Example, if you want riches, if you want success, you just believe that you have received them and you will. The key to unlocking what you want in life is believing in belief itself. And you'll get it. The good news today is I have much, much greater news for you than that. Yay! And the room erupted in applause because Jesus has good news for us today. What we just talked about is not good news. It'll rile everybody up. It'll get you going. Slogans don't work like God's word works. Uh, Let's start at the beginning of the passage, shall we? Uh, What's a fig tree doing in the passage? Uh, I thought that was interesting looking at this. This week, reading through this, uh, we should know here that the fig tree, Jesus is using this fig tree as an imitation for Israel. It's emblematic for what's going on with Israel, both as a nation and as individuals. Um, Verse 12, I find it very, very intriguing about Jesus. You'll notice it says that he was hungry. Once again, another very, very key feature I love about Jesus is that Jesus was 100% human and 100% divine. Those two natures, how did those two natures relate to each other? Uh, When it says that Jesus was hungry and was going toward the fig tree to see if there were any figs on the tree, in Jesus' divinity, wouldn't he have known? How do these two natures, him being human and God, how are they relating to each other? Was he always able to have God's omniscience, right? That God knows all things, sort of flowing through his being. Or did he have to tap into it? Uh, And it would be readily available for him. I love in the Gospel of Mark here, Mark's been introducing us to a Jesus who's human. Remember the storm? We looked at a few weeks ago that there's basically a raging hurricane the disciples find themselves in. And Jesus 
is asleep. Jesus was human. He was tired. He's sleeping. Uh, Jesus, it says elsewhere in the Bible that as a human, he can understand your weaknesses because he has been tempted in every way that you've been tempted. And as I read that, I'm like, really? Jesus can really get me and understand me like no one else. And in that same passage about how he knows our weaknesses and how he's been tempted in every way known to us, it also includes his divinity because it says, yet he was without sin. Wow. Jesus has our humanity. And Jesus has divinity at the same time. Verse 13 here. um, Notice that when he came to the fig tree, it didn't have figs, and Jesus didn't like that. So he curses the tree. Verse 14. May no one ever eat fruit from you again. That wasn't a curse word, like you and I might say to something. Um, He speaks gently to it, but he's indeed... Uh, cursing it. Now, was he just hangry? Was he just so uh, hungry, hangry that he, he's just mad at a, at a fig tree? Of course not. This is grief of Jesus. If you're wondering how all this is going to get to the mountain moving prayers, hold on, we're getting there. But this part's really important. Jesus was grieved at what the fig tree represented. That's why he's upset. He's not upset because he he didn't get his granola bar. Or he he wasn't being filled by some figs there that he needed to actually eat. He's grieved. Did you get it here? He's grieved that Israel's not repenting. They're not truly believing in the gospel. Verse 20, it says, you know, as they're the next day going back through in the same direction... Probably a two-mile journey there from Bethany to Jerusalem. Uh, As they're going there, they see the same fig tree, and sure enough, it's withered. Uh, it's, it's, It's withered there. And again, this is a prophetic sign that Jesus is wanting them to see. Because from that time, it would be 40 years later, that Israel would indeed... Uh, be taken by Rome. The Roman Empire destroys the nation. We know that part of history. They will be rebuilt. uh, And that's part of what the resurrection is about. But Jesus is grieving Israel. He's grieving that they've added commandments to God's word. and They're celebrating how, how they got it together and they're doing good and yet their hearts are far from God. That's what Jesus is grieving. That's what Jesus is upset about. Um, They went through all this religious activity, but not true repentance. And that is instructive to us, that we can believe all the right categories about God, but perhaps not have our hearts in a place where we truly love this God that we claim to know a whole lot about. The gospel is good news for us. Um, The gospel tells us that Christ paid for our sins, that we are legally clear, we are legally justified before a holy God, that that's something that Christ has done. 
Not as some of these Pharisees were thinking that if, hey, if I live a good life and if I try to do more, as we looked at last week and the weeks previous. And it really comes to this point for some of us that um, if we've never truly surrendered our will and our, and our heart to the Lord, perhaps we're like the fig tree. Perhaps that our lives will continue to wither. And perhaps if you're in a season right now where you're thinking, I'm just not experiencing fruit in my life. And I don't mean monetary fruit. I don't mean success in your career. Fruit of the Spirit. It's talked about later in the Bible, in Galatians. If you're not experiencing that fruit, there are some serious questions to be asking Again, verse uh, 21, Peter is so excited here. He, he really, Peter is, is, uh, is impressed by Jesus' power. And he wants Jesus, by the way, we've been picking on Peter a little bit uh, in, in the Gospel of Mark, how a lot of times he speaks up first, and sometimes he puts his foot right in his mouth. This is one of those times, though, that Peter's actually right. He, he's excited about the power of Jesus, that Jesus the day before spoke words to a fig tree, and now they're walking by, and sure enough, it's dead. It's withered to the root. And so he wants to impress Jesus by the fact that he's noticed that. And Jesus wants to impress Peter with the power that's available to Peter and all Christians. Verse 22 and 23, these are implications for Christians. This is sort of standard issue. This is stock. This is what's given to you and to me or anyone who's a follower of Christ. You don't have to be the apostle Peter. You don't have to be clergy or you don't have to be some whatever you think is a super Christian. And I can tell you as an ordained minister, we are not. We all know that. Verse 22, Jesus answered, have faith in God. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Wow. That's a powerful challenge. It's a powerful encouragement when you think about that. Power available to Peter. Power available to you. As you're appropriating it and believing. Have faith is this popular saying. I was in a conversation just this week with a friend of mine, and we we're having a normal conversation, and uh, he mentions, you know, you just, you just got to have faith. And for me, I'm a preacher, I can't help this, but it, for me in that conversation, it's like, you know, ding, 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 ding. He just said the word faith. So I asked my friend, and by the way, there's, there's enough... Um, friendship there that we really can have good, robust conversation. And I said, um, you know, faith in what? When you say we've got to have faith, like, what are you talking about? Faith in what or faith in who? And my friend replied, well, you know, faith in faith. (laughs) Jesus' words here. Let's read it again. Have faith in faith. No. Jesus says in verse 22, have faith in God. There's a specificity for this faith. There's a place 
that this faith needs to land and place its hope and its weight on something. And by the way, we all have faith. You're placing your faith right now on a chair. It's whereby we place our weight, our trust, we transfer it onto something that we deem either intellectually or emotional, perhaps a combination of both, of something that can do something for us as part of our humanity. Faith is not a force. Faith isn't even the power. That's why, hey, go have faith and God will give you more money. Isn't something you should believe in. Faith in God. And what that is inviting you to is something that's quite complex. It's something that's quite mysterious. Because this God is mysterious. This God has a will and desires that sometimes don't match our own. What is faith? It's trusting God to do what God says that God will do. That's what faith is. It's not me having faith in what I think God ought to do, when I think God ought to do it, but it's having faith in what God has already clearly promised and said. And the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. If you're like me, you're asking, well, where does faith even come from? Other places in scripture, it's clear, very, very clear that faith is a gift from God. That prior to God giving a person faith, whereby they can then entrust God with their life, they are known as spiritually dead, the scriptures say. Ephesians chapter 2. Go check it out. We were spiritually dead, but Christ made us alive in him and gave us faith so that we might believe. Therefore, no one should boast. For it is by grace you've been saved. So it's regeneration is where we get faith. We've been regenerated. New life has been given to you by God. You've been given faith. Yet in this passage, we're being told, because of the faith that you've been given, go exercise it. Use it. James, later on in the New Testament, is going to say that faith without works is dead. He doesn't mean that faith plus do some good works so that you can be saved. No. He's saying that if you've truly been given faith and you're a follower of Christ, that will lead you to action. Your faith will be in works. It will be working itself forward. Verse 23, I love here how he says uh, anyone. Anyone. You see that? That anyone you reading that with me? Anyone, it says. Now, if you really look at this in the Greek and you really want to know what this word means, it means anyone. It means anyone. He's talking to believers. He's talking to believers. So believer following Christ, if you have um, faith, which you do because you're a follower, uh, this verse applies to you. Now, we need to get into this uh, move mountains What in the world does this phrase even mean? Well, first of all, we should say it's not a literal. It's not a literal, and the reason why we know that uh, is because this mountain is referring to the Mount of Olives, right? So as they're walking there together, uh, Jesus would be looking right at the Mount of Olives with his disciples, and 
yet the passage doesn't say that they said to the Mount of Olives, move! And it moved. So this is not a literal translation that we're supposed to get from the text here. Uh, Jesus was not meaning that they could literally throw the Mount of Olives into the Dead Sea. Uh, The most important part about the word uh, mountain here is that, and by the way, does the word Mount of Olives, does that ring a bell or bring something to mind there? We're in the season of, of Lent and we're moving towards the crucifixion and where was Christ crucified? The Mount of Olives. It's the Mount of Olives that Christ will be crucified. And so the the cross of Christ is clearly at play here when he's talking about this, throw these mountains into the sea. Uh, You can go back and look at Zechariah the prophet, Zechariah chapter 14, where he too is referring to this Mount of Olives that will be split. Basically justice, the justice that you long for the true religion that you and I want to experience, the humility that we want to see God, that sort of fruit God bear in our lives will happen because of the cross of Christ and because of the resurrection. Now, there are other uh, metaphoric mountains that we should speak of in our lives that need to be moved. I want you to think of some in your life right now. I want you to think about uh, perhaps a mountain of debt, a mountain of division in your family, a mountain of division uh, among groups. Maybe it's racially, maybe it's uh, sexual orientation, uh, a mountain of sin in your own personal life that you just, it, it, it's just a mountain. You, you really feel so overcome by it. Mountains of habits that you wish, boy, you just, I just wish I could be done with those. Mountains of storms, suffering, politics, another set of mountains. Lots of mountains that need moving. And the key here is faith. The key here is faith and the power is the cross and the gospel. That's where your power is coming from. Unlike a motivational speech that tells you, go have faith in faith and just have the power deep down inside of you. And notice how faith moves into action when it says, say to that mountain. Faith focuses not on self, but on Christ. Remember Peter in one of the other gospels where Peter starts walking on water. Jesus calls him out because Jesus is walking on the water And Peter's walking on water. And yet, you might remember how the story ends up going. Peter starts to sink. Because Peter starts trusting in his own ability. Peter starts losing focus and losing faith in Christ. And it begins to be placed on himself. We're all so guilty of that. Um, One way this helps us is is to rub shoulders with people who are clearly uh, doing this in their lives. It's just so encouraging to place yourself around other people. Of course, no one's got it down perfectly. but And sometimes you can do this through reading biographies. Reading biographies is a great way to rub shoulders with someone you'll never meet. Read, read. I I need to do more reading. Um, 
I'm thinking of Hudson Taylor or George Mueller. Uh, several are probably popping to your mind biographies that are just great biographies that remind us what does this faith in Christ really look like? What does a life of faith really look like? One person that we have great access to in the Bible is Abraham. And in the Old Testament, it says, uh, Abraham against hope. (laughs) Against hope. And by the way, a little refresher on his story. He was promised that it would be through his seed that the Messiah would come into the world. Everything about the story of God coming to redeem and restore his people has gotten up to a point to where uh, Abraham is about 100 years old, his wife's about 100 years old, and it almost seems silly. How in the world is God going to give us an heir? And lo and behold, uh, Sarah is, is pregnant. Um, and, and God is faithful. God gives them that child. And, then, and, and that child is Isaac. And, and then God um, calls Abraham to go and sacrifice that child. And once again, it looks like, oh no, how's the story going to end? I thought God was going to be faithful. God remains faithful because God provides a ram in the thicket that was caught there. And so he didn't have to sacrifice Isaac. God continues to provide. We can see his faith says that against hope, what that means is he expected it to happen. He didn't know how it was going to happen, but he expected God to do his part. He prayed believing, and he stood on God's word. You might need something visual. I have, uh, or had, he, he, uh, he passed away a few years ago, but a really good friend of mine used to have a really good visual for reminding himself of God's Ability to continue to provide for him. And he had this uh, someone, uh, I guess it was an artist, who had carved uh, some, some wooden loaves and fishes. Now, you remember that story? We looked at that in the book of Mark early on. But my friend had this uh, wooden little set of loaves and fishes on his desk, and daily he would, he would visualize it. He would see it. And it may sound all kind of cute or whatever to you, but no, it really was something that this person could look at and be mindful that that Jesus fed the thousands with just those five loaves and two fish. And guess what? There were 12 baskets of leftovers. Have something visual that reminds you of God's ability that increases your faith. At this point, some of us are thinking, yeah, but what about a large mountain? What about a large mountain that I'm dealing with right now? There's a lot of rock in that mountain. You don't know what mountain I'm trying to move. You don't know what mountain I've been praying to God that God would move. And if you were to just stand up and look right at that mountain and say, move, and then perhaps it doesn't, it's easy to feel very discouraged. It's really part of our humanity to feel super encouraged. Let me read a quote here from S.T. Gordon in a, a work called Quiet Talks on Prayer. Here's the quote. The faith that believes that God will do what you ask is not born in a hurry. It is not born in the dust of the street and the noise in the crowd. Its birthplace is in the secret place and time 
and the open word and a reverent heart are necessary to its growth. Into that heart will come a simple, strong faith that the thing is led to ask for shall be accomplished. It takes time. It's not just a, hey, get motivated and go have faith this week. It takes time for this faith to be developed. It's something that God is so committed to growing inside of you and in me. Thinking is not praying. I'll say it again. Thinking is not praying. I spent a lot of time this week thinking. And then as sort of I was looking back on my week, I I was almost prone to say, well, I, I prayed a lot this week. No, you didn't. You thought a lot this week. I'm not trying to make myself feel guilty. I'm certainly not trying to make you feel that that way. I just want to draw a distinction here that thinking is not praying. Reading isn't praying. I did a lot of reading this week, both online and researching and in my Bible as well. Prayer is entrusting something to God. That's what prayer is. And I have non-Christian friends and even Christian friends that will ask me, what's the whole purpose behind prayer anyway? Like, if God knows everything, or we're like not instructing God, are we, when we pray? We're not informing God how we feel or that there's a coronavirus or whatever. God already knows these things. What's the purpose in prayer? The purpose in prayer is for you and for me to entrust my very situation and my very need Onto a God who can do something about it. That's what prayer is. And notice this tension in prayer. There's faith, there's believing, there is that entrusting it to God, and yet there's also surrender. Ouch. That one kind of is a little painful when we think about it. We'll discuss both of them. The prayer of faith. This is a certainty that God can deal with every situation and any difficulty, and that with God, nothing is impossible. That's a confidence. It's not in my abilities. It's not in how I'm going to network really well and with the right people this week, and if I can pull the right strings and it'll all work out. No, that's trusting in self. But praying in faith and expectation is a confidence. When we think about the character of who God is, God's power, God's might, God's provision. Matthew 7 reminds us, ask, and it will be given to you. Are you asking? Seek, and you will find. Are you seeking? Knock, and the door will be opened. Are you knocking? Yet the prayer of surrender, get ready for this one. The prayer of surrender is announcing our desire and yielding to God's plan. Yielding. This one's not popular. We don't talk about this one a whole lot. It's yielding. Even as you say to that mountain, move. There's a prayer of confidence that is saying to that mountain, move. In Jesus' name, move. Yet there is a surrendered prayer. Jesus taught us this while he himself was on 
that, um, that, that night where he was praying. He's, he's, he's there as the Olivet Discourse. He's right near the Mount of Olives where he's going to be crucified and yet he's praying and there's drops of blood as he's sweating, praying to God the Father. Lord, if it's possible, he prays. If it's possible, let this cup of judgment pass from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will, Heavenly Father. That's surrender. That's a painful prayer. It's coupled there together, a prayer of faith and confidence and also a prayer of surrender. And there are certain prayers that we just don't have specific promises for that are in that are just not in Scripture. There's just a lot of, a lot of those that, that, that aren't there. God, give me a spouse. God, give me a su- successful career. God, uh, give my family member uh, a lot of money or uh, healing in this way. God, make these emotional difficulties just go out of my life somehow. Again, prayer. God wants us to express that. He wants us to feel that. He wants us to entrust it to God and leave it with God and surrender that God may not answer yes to any of the aforementioned prayers, but God is listening and God cares. And God has a good plan for me and for you. God is good. God is good. Verse 25, we shouldn't skip over this one. Some of those famous sermons on this very popular verse. This last verse that we're about to look at is totally not in there. But Jesus mentions it, uh, verse 25. There's a condition here. There's a condition uh, on, on the end of this little passage. It says, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them. So that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. This is very instructive for us in our prayer life. How you treat people matters. How you stand in relationship to other human beings and fellow Christians or non-Christians, it matters. There's one passage that even says, you know, live in a certain way as, as though you're living with someone who's, who's weaker than you are. Grant them honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers won't be hindered. It says, wow. Wow, yeah, verse 25. It, it matters how you and I treat people. You can come with all the gusto you want of move mountain. And yet, if there's not love in your heart towards your brother or your sister, there's judgment somewhere in there, jealousy somewhere in there, we shouldn't be surprised about some of the answers uh, to, to some of those prayers. Conclusion. What are you praying for? What are you praying for? Maybe you're like me. You thought a lot this week. You, 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 you thought a whole lot. The question is, what are you praying for? Start praying. Again, that means entrusting. Start transferring your trust. This is what prayer is. Start transferring the trust from what you can see and what you think is going to happen and how you're going to manage it all onto God. Cast it all on God. 
develop a regular habit of that prayer. Pray with others. There are ones of us right here in this church that we meet up for one-on-ones, and we meet up to go and pray. We walk, we pray. Um, There's a few of us that meet up on Sunday mornings to do the same thing right around this piano. We need it. The community group that meets in a Castro neighborhood, there's prayer there in that house. Pray for one another. Pray for the needs that we heard in our open mic time. It's really nice to say I thought about you this week. But how much more powerful would it be that when I had a thought about you, I entrusted those things that you're going through onto God. Pray for each other. Pray for our church. Pray for our city. Pray for our country. Pray for our world. Next question, how are you praying? Are you, are you believing when you pray? Some of us might be very disciplined at praying. We might even have a prayer journal. It might even be very organized with what to pray for on what day. That's fabulous. Please teach me how to do that. How are you praying, though? Are you believing when you pray that God can powerfully intervene in all the events of your life, every single one of them? There's no category. There's no category that God cannot come in and just work some amazing story and miracle right now. How are you praying? Are you surrendering to God's will when you pray? I had to ask that one. A lot of times our praying is not entrusting the situation to God. It's basically telling God what we think God ought to do. Let me control God. Let me move God's hand by suggesting what I think would be the right thing for God to do. Remember to surrender to God's will when we pray. The last question, it could be that you feel like this barren tree. And that was like me at one point. I felt totally like a barren tree. Believing, or what I thought was believing in Christ, but hadn't really surrendered. Hadn't really yielded or come to a point where I literally would call Jesus King or Lord of my life. If that's uh, where you find yourself, or perhaps a friend that you're in conversation with right now, the recommendation there is to not be like the fig tree that withered and died. The recommendation is to have your roots embedded into Christ. Trust in Christ. Lean on Christ for life, for fruit. Let's pray together right now. Lord, there are certainly large mountains right now in our lives that need to be moved and we believe that you and you alone can move them and that only you have the wisdom to know which ones need to be moved when And God, in your goodness, somehow even certain ones perhaps won't even be moved in this lifetime. And in the powerful name of Jesus, we we pray, we say, move, move those mountains. 
And give us rest by not trying to do the heavy lifting ourselves. Give us rest right now today. Give us rest tomorrow. Let us live lives of rest as we learn and keep learning how to entrust you to do the heavy lifting. Help us yield and surrender to you. And Lord, if we're like the barren tree, we pray, Lord, I'm like that barren tree. I surrender my will to you as my master and Lord. I trust that you died for me. I invite you to come and live in me and make the changes that you need to make. I pray in your name, Jesus.